fun. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today I have a very, very special guest. Her name is Lark Galley, correct? Correct. And she hails from the great state of Utah, everybody. Um, and she has a message. And one thing that I like to throw in here is she is an author, and you know how I, I, I eat up authors. I love having them on the podcast. Um, she has a very difficult story to tell. But from it, she has has an uprising from it, and she has um, quite a few tools and resources to help the world. So I'm going to pass it over to Lark, and Lark, you tell them about yourself, and we'll go from there. Awesome. Thanks, JR. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience um, because of the message that I have. And just over 19 months ago, back in March 2019, my 19-year-old son died by suicide. He took his own life. And one of the hardest parts of that was that we did not see it coming as parents. We didn't see it at all. And, you know, sometimes you look at people or kids and you're like, oh, that person's got problems. They've got personal problems. I can see it. This kid was a freshman at the University of Utah in the engineering program, something he had wanted to do his entire life. He was, had friends, very active, he had hobbies, he had things to look forward to, and yet because of just a, a accumulation of three things that happened really close together, and being young, he couldn't see that, you know, as adults, we can say, this will pass or it will get better, it's not good now. He was very short-sighted, and he ended his life, which was shocking to my husband and me, and just altered the course of our life. And I went into a, I started to go into a really dark space. And the reason for that is that five years prior to my son's death, my father had also died by suicide. And at that time I went into five months of just huge despair. And when my son died, I started to feel myself slip into that dark hole. And I had to make a decision if I was going to go there. All right. So when you got into this dark hole, what was the first coping mechanism? What was something that you used to kind of like steady the ground? You didn't necessarily just jump right out of things, but how did you kind of get yourself to, to float in the water? Sure. So those, at least I, I caught myself because I could tell that I was slipping there. And I realized that my, my family needed me. And if I didn't stay present, I was going to lose them too, because they, they were having so many problems. And so I needed to step back and not allow myself the luxury of going into the dark hole because it felt like a very good place that, and a place that I wanted to go. So I specifically said, no, you cannot go there. You have to stay present. And then I just started thinking about my son and um, the struggles that we had in our relationship because it wasn't a beautiful, you know, rainbows and roses type relationship. He argued with me every day of his life. And so I started thinking, oh, he's, he's angry with me. He's upset with me. I was a terrible mom. I started analyzing all these things. And during this time, I had two friends who called me and they said, I am concerned about my teenagers who know your son. And if you're familiar with suicide, um, copycat suicide, especially among youth, it tends to be a thing. One kid will die by suicide and then it sets off this chain reaction. And it's very scary. We had a high school in our valley here 
where there were 16 suicides within just a, a very few short months, a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. And that's why I was very concerned. And suddenly within just a few days of my son's passing, I realized that this issue with suicide ideation and the stigma around suicide, it was not about me, whether I was a good parent or a bad parent. It wasn't about my son and the problems he had. This was about my speaking up to prevent other kids from taking their lives. And that's when it sort of clicked. And I started talking about this on social media because it was not my plan to suddenly make suicide prevention my big platform. That was not my plan. Okay. Now, let me ask you something real quick. So dealing with your father's death, go, we'll take a step back. Dealing with that, that, took a, that was a process and some time there. With dealing with that and dealing with your son's death, the, we're not going to make a comparison because we don't do that, you know, in life. But knowing what happened with your father, did it ease or did it make things? I mean, I know it doesn't make it easier, but did it make it like a, a common ground that you could kind of pick yourself up? It helped me in some ways. You know, when my father died by suicide, I couldn't even talk about it. A lot of my friends didn't even know how he actually died because I couldn't say it. And once again, there's the whole stigma around suicide. And so I hid it and I didn't talk about it. When my son died and I made that decision to talk about it, as I talked about it, it helped me to heal from my son's death. And it finally helped me to heal from my father's death because I was finally talking about it. And I think you'll realize from hearing people's stories when they don't talk about it, it becomes this deep, dark secret and it's shameful. But when we can give a voice to what really happened, then we can eliminate the shame and we can help other people have the opportunity to share their stories too. Okay. Now, after this, you you get out here, you get on social media, you start putting out a message. Um, Obviously you go to other resources and uh, as you're going to resources, you do something miraculous. You create resources. How does that right. come about when you come from something? I mean, you don't come from something. I mean, you have something so tragic happen to you. How do you, how do you have the strength to do those resources? And how did you come up with resources after you looked at resources to make sure. resources? <laughs> well, you know, and it, it's been a process because uh, in the beginning, I was very get action, get it done. And, and at, the four month mark, it became very difficult. And for the first, you know, four to six months, four for month four to month six, it was hard. And I just really um, pleaded to God for strength to be able to get up out of the bed and share this message and, and to have my burden lifted. And I really feel blessed that, that that's been a blessing to me so that I can share this message with other people. And so as I would share this message, parents would ask, what can I do for my child there? You know, we don't know what to do. And, and I didn't know what to do really either other than let's talk to our kids. Let's love them. Let's parent them in a better way. And so I started reaching out for different resources and I put those on a page on my website. There's a, there's a tab there for resources. Uh, One of those is with Dr. Paul Jenkins that I have, um, started collaborating with, and he and I are going to do some, uh, some, different modules on suicide prevention as a parent, what happens, you know, if your child is feeling suicidal or what can you say? And then if you have lost someone to suicide, the grief process and being able to cope and move forward. So he already has some great parenting resources or just resources for people who feel like they're um, not coping well. 
I love what he teaches that as parents, we are here to love and support. We're not here to judge. We're not here to bring our children down. We love them no matter what. And that, that has been my shift in parenting since my son died. Okay. Um, now you were telling people about a website, but you didn't tell them how to get to that website. Oh, okay. So it's my, my website. It's larkdeangalley.com. And on that, that website, you can see some different tabs. One of them is the, uh, the resources where people can find different places that I've come across in the last 19 months that can help people. Okay. Now let's get into the, the nitty gritty. As I say, you have a book. Yes. Would you please tell Monty it's the title? So that they can hear it from you. Because if they hear it from me, it always sounds the same coming from me, but I like it Uh from the author. Sure. So it's called Learning to Breathe Again, Choosing to Heal After Losing a Loved One to Suicide. And those words were really impactful to me. Okay. Now let's go into the book a little bit. Um, The first few chapters inside this book. Uh, Obviously, um, you give a personal story, correct? And um, And you know what? Well, what's interesting about that is I wasn't going to put my childhood background in the book. I didn't see how that related. You know, why do people want to know about my childhood? And then I started talking to a high school friend who said, you know, you need to put all this business about your childhood in this book because you had a crazy growing up time. And for me, it was normal. I didn't understand. But she's like, no, Lark, I saw you hoarding food because you didn't know if you were going to have enough food and you moved every year of your life. You went to a different school every year of your life. And as she's bringing these things up, I'm thinking, wow, she's right. You know, I did have a very unstable childhood. And at the time I didn't realize it because my father was not diagnosed with bipolar until he was in his fifties. But looking back, I can see very easily why he just had all these demons and was always trying to find the next thing. Okay. That's understandable. So outside of your childhood, uh, you get into adulthood, um, you have a child and you raise your child and then this uh, tragic incident happens. Yes. Um, after you go back and analyze everything, like you said, cause that was something that was real key that I wanted to touch back on. And, and I know this is inside your book. Um, when you analyze things, did you come to a point where you you can't ever find the true answers to anything? I understand that. But did you find some subtle answers to certain things? And I would did. you mind just elaborating on a few of those? Sure. So a couple of things was that because I finally looked at my childhood and wrote it out, I could see why I parented the way I did. Because I have a lot of structure in my home. I like things ordered and my son did not. And so that was a point of friction <clears throat> between the two of us. And looking back, I realized that I needed that order and structure because of my childhood, because it was so unstructured. It was my coping mechanism. And it was my way of sort of dealing with the crazy voices in my head and and trying to keep things all organized. And um, then the other thing I learned was about parenting. You know, in the past, I was a very controlling parent, very, you know, this, you do this or else. And I have learned that um, we're not our children's saviors. We are not their dictators. We are not responsible for them. They do have to, you know, have consequences for things they do. But as parents, I like to look at myself more as a guide and someone that will love them no matter what happens 
and how they show up. Okay. And kind of you follow the same kind of motto uh, now that, that I do in life. Um, like I tell people, because like, I work in management, I tell people that I'm not above you, underneath you. I'm going to walk side by side with you. If I look left, you should be able to look left over my shoulder. If I turn right, we're going to look right over your shoulder. And, and, and I, I kind of get that from there. So getting more into this book, um, a parent, we'll, we'll do a scenario real quick. A parent loses their child to suicide and they need something to pick them up. So I, I get your book and I pass it along to this parent. What I, We all read books in order. I know that structure, mm-hmm. but what every book has a powerful chapter. What is the powerful chapter in your book? Oh, let's see. Um, there's, there's towards the end, it talks about the grief and the grieving. And if somebody is grieving, that is a very good chapter because as I looked at my children and my husband and myself, we all went through a grieving process that was different. Everybody was different. And while my process went a little bit faster because of my experiences in my life, you know, one of them being my father's suicide, I had to learn not to push the other family members. I had to learn to allow them to be where they were and respect them. That's, that's huge because you can't force a person's grief process to speed up, right? It just doesn't happen. Right. So I talk a lot about allowing people to be in the grief wherever they are, but also the thing I noticed in other people who had lost a child, whether, you know, SIDS or accident or suicide, a lot of them are still grieving and they're still in that past. And I did not want to be like that. I saw one woman who lost a child 20 years ago and she was still stuck and spiraling in that moment. Oh, wow. And I had to make a conscious choice and say, yes, it hurts. Yes, I wish it had been different but I can't change the past. How can I make the future better? What can I do, you know, to take this terrible thing and turn it into a blessing for someone else? Right. And now you're an advocate. I am an advocate. You're an advocate. You're out here. You're, you're very strong. And um, like, like I always like to do, like you have so many facets to you. It's not just a book. You have programs to help people. Like, yes. like it, that's so powerful that, like you understand, like you have grief, you have things that w- would make anybody else in the world, not anybody else, but just quite a few people, even me, I would be bitter. I would be broken. Like you said about that lady for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, my pettiness would make me become selfish in that matter. You have, you don't exude any of that. Thank you. And it's been a process. Okay. So the other thing that I learned is about blame. Because if I blame God, if I blame my son, if I blame my husband, if I blame myself, then I'm in a bad place. And as humans, we like to blame because then it then we have a reason. Oh, I can cope now that I know somebody's at fault for this situation. In order to stay strong, in order to stay together as a family unit, we had to take away blame. Just take it away. No one is to blame. Um, I have heard that when a, when a parents lose a child. However, you know, in death, the child dies, the divorce rate increases by 30%. Whoa. And so that was something that we, my husband and I really had to focus on not blaming, being supportive because we're both grieving and we're both, you know, torn up and just hurting. And yet we need each other so much more now. 
Okay. Now, um, with that being said, that was powerful right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's like that's why I really wanted you to be a guest on here. And audience, I'm gonna spin over real quick to, to tell you something. Um, so many times in life, people have things happen to them, and like like I said, they and I I know I keep reiterating this. They just like like you said, this dark place. That dark place, like for you not to be bitter. That that's amazing. Um, with this book, this book, do we have a release date? Yes, November 10th. So it's coming up very soon. Oh, my Lord. Um, yep, you'll find it on Amazon. Or if you want to go to my website, there's a button there you can click to get updates. So you'll know about it. So it's very close. It's taken a year and a half. It I thought it was something that I could just pop out right away. And there were a lot of emotions in this book. And it took a long time. And there were a lot of tears. So my heart and soul is on there. And it is it is focused on two audiences. One audience is for parents who are struggling in their relationship with their children. What can we do to parent better? That is so important to me so that they don't have to have the experience that I did. The other group is for parents who are grieving and, and don't have an answer and wonder how they could go on, whether they've lost a child to suicide or just loss in general. And losing a child is just, it's so huge. It's not the natural order of things. And you just wonder how you can possibly even take a breath, even move forward. Yeah, because like, just like I said, that tragedy there. So um, I'm going to do my Barbara Walters question. This is the 2020 question right now. Would you say this book was your therapy? Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as I as I shared the story, you know, I started to heal. I had to take a huge introspection into my life and into my relationships. And I am very raw and real in this book. And it's not sugar coated at all. It's let's look at what really was going on. What are my regrets? How would I have changed them? And what can we do? to improve relationships. It's very raw. <laughs> okay. So we'll go even deeper this time. So you did that, the therapy part, but what chapter broke you down? Cause you said this book took you a long time. So there was a chapter yes. that stopped you somewhere. So what yes. chapter stopped you? Well, I'll tell you more than anything. It was the dialogue because I thought, well, I'll just explain what happened. And when I got the book back from my editor, there were several points along the way. And she said, no, you have to put in dialogue. And I had been specifically avoiding that. And so for two days, I went in and put in more dialogue. And when you do that, that means you have to go back and revisit the situation. You have to remember what was said and the interaction between you and that person. And so I added more dialogue between me and my son. And that, that was two days of crying. That okay. was, that ripped my heart out. So the dialogue, all right. Yes. And, and when you tell these stories, you know, and I always tell people, I tell authors this more than anybody. You don't know, but today you put out something else. You put out an instruction manual for others. Yes. <laughs> so so to tie that in, the next person, and, and, and it said that there will be a next person, but the next person in your shoes beyond all resources that you have, beyond whatever, on day one, after, what what do you tell them? Oh, wow. Okay. So first of all, 
sometimes if you're in that situation and you're you're visiting somebody who who has or you have a friend or something sometimes it's just being there you know they might not want to talk about it they but they might just need somebody to just be there and not even talk and that's important the other the other thing that i enjoy is talking about my son to people who actually knew him and sharing memories and being okay to do that and you know if somebody else has lost a child I let them sort of lead that conversation. If they want to talk about their child, I, I allow that. I create space for that to happen. Um, before I lost my my son, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I didn't, you know, I'm like, okay, the child is, is past. Let's not talk about them. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And yet for the parent, that child is very real. That child will be there forever. And my being able to talk about him, especially to people that that knew him, how funny and quirky and crazy he was, mm-hmm. that makes me happy and it keeps him alive for me. And with all the work you do, you're taking care of his legacy. That's what I feel like. I, he was a very sensitive boy. He was very caring, very kind to other people. Uh, and I just feel like this message goes forward to help people, you know, even though he's passed on to help that message go forward. And I have to tell you, I feel so close to my son. Uh, I feel closer to him now than before he died. And it's because I continue to share that story. I, I just feel it in my heart and that's where I get my strength from. Okay. Now you have a blog. Yes, I have a blog and I've been putting more. So before my son passed away, I, you know, I own several different businesses and I, one of those was doing business coaching. So I started all these articles about, you know, running a business and, and streamlining your business. And the last few blog articles have been shifting, right? So it's more about, let's look at some problems that are going on and how can we prevent suicide? What can we do? What, what do we need to be aware of? Okay. Now let's dab into these programs. Yes. (laughs) Let everybody know about your programs. Because here's the thing here. Like I said, you have a book. It will be out soon. Yes. But you have resources now and um, you are available on what social media platforms for people? So Facebook under the the book, under the book title, Learning to Breathe Again, or you can look on my website, um, larkdeangalley.com. That's where you can find the resources. Um, I'm also on Instagram, larkgalley and um blogger so you can find me a, a okay. couple different places yes <laughs> so, so so one question um i do have uh is there anything on youtube any videos anything? I, I started some yes you know i started okay. in and so i'm trying to build that up but there are some videos there's a speech that i gave um just a couple months after my son died that that is on my youtube so lark lark dean galley you can usually find me there okay so or they can find you there mm-hmm. and um is there anything that you do on Facebook? Do you ever go live or do you have, uh, I do go live, you know, occasionally I actually went live yesterday because I was talking about, um, the biggest regret that I have with my son, with my son's passing. And that is that three and a half years before he died, he had told my husband to me that he did feel suicidal and we got him the help that he needed. And after two months of therapy, he's like, mom, I'm good. And I took him at face value. Oh, he says he's good. He's good. My biggest regret is that I never had a conversation about his mental health from from the time he was 16 to the time he was 19. 
And that is critical because I found out after my son passed away in talking to a therapist, what happens is people feel depressed, they feel down, and a lot of people can see that, and then they start to feel happy again. And the rest of us are like, oh, he's good now. Well, he's not good. He's come up with a plan to kill himself. And when things get too hard, he's going to execute that plan. But he feels good because he has a way out, which is so ironic, right? This like really twisted. Right. And so I look back and I realize my son had a plan. And even though he looked happy, he acted happy, he still executed that plan three years later, even though he told us he was fine. And even though we saw no outward signs of suicide. Okay. And that, that's, I mean, wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a lot of perspective there. Like, you know, to be able to grip all that now and. Well, it's been 19 months and I've, I do analyze a lot, you know, I yes, think ma'am. about things I do. And I tell you, that's a great feature for the simple fact that like, once again, we always go back to that you're helping somebody, but it's self care, self-helping. Yes. And when you do that, you're passing that mechanism on to the next person, that coping mechanism. Uh, Cause like I always tell people we're, we're built a certain way. We're all built to think that and, and something that I've been doing and a lot of people that I'm bringing on the show, um, mental health is taboo in our community. I don't care if you're black, white, Mexican, Haitian, whatever, poor, middle-class, rich, yep. wealthy, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, yep. Tennessee, no matter where you are, mental health is taboo. We all go through life. We all have mental deficiency somewhere. Yes. We're, we're all not rounded. We're not all rounded or squared. We all have issues. Yes. Some of us can get the help. Some of us can't get the help. And then there are people like you that provide a sense of help and you give a morality to what the stigma is about suicide and you get what I'm saying, right? Like, oh, totally, totally. Like, like, like clearly like you, you've uh, taken in time, you put a thought process to it. You, and like you said, you analyze You're a scientist. We'll say that's the best <laughs> way to put it. A scientist in this matter. And obviously there's no trial and error to it. It's just a trial. And you've gathered all this information to help people, people now, after listening to this, because these podcasts carry on different places, and this podcast outlasts you and me, because somebody will have it in an archive one day. Um, so that's another thing with all your work, too. It'll be in an archive somewhere. Someone will be able to see your work in 2019 to 2020 that, you know, at that moment in life, you became what you were always supposed to be. You know, through tragedy, there's always the superhero and you're that superhero. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> well, thank you. And I appreciate that. And it, it's not something that, like I said, I ever planned. I just feel like this, the situation with my son, he has helped me to become a better person. And I feel like because of that, he fulfilled his mission in life. And now I'm helping to fulfill my mission, which is, you know, letting people know this is a serious epidemic. And we need to care and talk with other people before it's too late. In my case, it was too late for my son and for my father. But, you know, I have other children and um, grandchildren and I have friends and, and siblings. And how can I make a difference in their life? Because just one person, if I affect one person and they in turn 
affect one other person and it goes on, that whole chain goes on. We need each other. Everybody needs each other. We are so connected. We are more connected than we even realize because one death affects hundreds of people. That is true. It, and sometimes, it, and like you said, uh, with that effect and, you know, someone like you coming back in to reiterate the taboo, to get that out there and open, like, I don't, I don't ever think you'll understand the whole magnitude of what you do. And, and, you know, you're probably right because I've been doing it now for, for, you know, 19 months in the beginning, it was scary. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Am I actually going to say my father had bipolar or that my son was depressed and we didn't know it. And then I'm like, yes, yes, I am. You know, (laughs) because if I can talk about it, then then what happens is someone else can talk about it and they don't feel isolated. It's when nobody talks about it and the one person who's feeling depressed is feeling isolated and they're like, well, nobody's talking about it. So I guess I'm the only one. And they are not the only one. We all experience, you know, varying levels of sadness and depression at times. That is true. And we need to talk about it. And really, you know, especially social media, isn't everybody happy, right? And everybody looks happy and they look perfect and yet they're very isolated. And and what they put out there is maybe not what they're feeling at all. True. And you know, the one famous person that everybody ties into suicide, Robin Williams. Yes. One of the happiest people, right? Right. Just, yep. you know. And, and I think, you know, like my son, who was very goofy and appeared happy, uh, Robin Williams was very happy in this com- com- uh, comedian And yet they were probably both hiding some deep sadness and they were trying to help other people be happy because they hurt so bad and they didn't want anybody else to hurt. And and I think like, and that's one of the identifiers I find in people because, you know, even while you help, I try to help people in some certain areas, not to the degree that you do because yours (laughs) is phenomenal. But like, I notice sometimes, you know, but with, with, with your, your coping mechanisms and, and everything that you have in your resources, it's kind of made me think back to like, I do have people behind me, you know, I'm just talking personally about myself. Cause a lot of times in life, you know, you may even feel that way or felt that way when you were first started doing this, that you were the only one, but there are people behind you supporting you. They, they are. And you know, it's been so beautiful. People have really reached out. They've expressed their support for me. And one of the the most gratifying things is when somebody will reach out and say, your words made a difference in my life. And I, occasionally people will, will um, send me a private message or an email or a text, and they'll tell me what I did to change their life. And I can't tell you uh, how blessed and how happy that makes me feel. Okay. Now to flip things around, there's something that I do on my show. Yes. Um, and we have to do this, okay. even though with your, even though with your topic, um, you know, I always tell people you don't know your celebrity until you have your celebrity. You were on that stardom. I know you're not looking for the celebrity, but you are going to be a celebrity and you are a celebrity at the moment and you'll carry on because you have a strong message. But my audience today doesn't know you. So they need to know something about you, a hidden talent, or just something in general that nobody else knows we need to know today. Okay. So this was a kind of a superpower that I didn't realize I had until my son passed away. And I have the ability to go into dark places and let's talk about the dark and let's talk about things that most people can't talk about. 
and let's pull it out. Let's look at it. Let's talk about it. And then let's put it back and say, okay, we can do something a little bit to make this feel better, even though it's hard and even though it's dark. And I recognize that not everybody can do that. Okay. So then um, to flip that around, you consider yourself a strong empath. You know, it was, you know, it's more like, let's just analyze this. I don't even know that I'm empathetic. You know, I, sometimes I, because my father was so emotionally detached, I kind of learned that too. Um, I would say my son was probably more empathetic and, and empath and, and could feel people. I'm more of a, let's look at the facts. Let's pull this out. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's an ugly, ugly thing. But in order for it to get better, we have to look at this dark and we have to talk about it. Okay, so I'm going to flip the analyzation there. Okay. You are a technical carer. There you go. Okay, I can I can buy that. <laughs> All right, so I coined that phrase now. So when you use it somewhere down the road, put the parentheses on it. And I want to tell you, thank you so much for coming on my, on this show. It's not my show. It's West Virginia and awesome. everywhere else's show. <laughs> um, so at the very end of the show, you've listened before, we do a shout out. Yes. And the reason that we do a shout out is because we have unsung heroes, be it your son, which it is him, yes. your children, your husband, everyone around you. Let these people know. You know what? Absolutely. I feel like my, my family has supported me. Um, they've not always agreed that I get up and I talk about everything so publicly, but they support the fact that it's, that's helped my healing. Uh, another shout out that I wanted to give was to Richard Paul Evans. He just came out with his 41st book. He's had, Whoa. they've all been bestsellers. So I don't know if you know of him, but he came out with the Christmas box um, 20 plus years ago. He has been my mentor through this for the, Ooh. you know, with this last year of mentoring me on my book and getting in the whole process. He was kind enough to write the forward of the book. And Whoa. He was impacted by suicide when he was 12 and his mother attempted suicide and they thought she was going to die. And, and so this has been, you know, years ago that it affected him and he realizes the power of this message. So I just want to give a shout out to Richard Paul Evans, check him out. His, his 41st novel just came out yesterday and he's, he is someone who has seen the dark side. And so he tries to bring joy and light to other people. Okay. Now, this portion, this is something new that I'm doing. Oh, fun. (laughs) All right, so so something new here. All right, guys, uh, I have listeners, and we break podcasts up into certain sections. So some people listen to the beginning, the middle. But right here at the end, we're going to do this. This is the first time ever. Uh, I'm going to make an announcement here, too. You will be starting season three of my show. That's amazing. Next week. All right, but here's the announcement here. I need you to plug every single thing you talked about here because I have listeners and I found this out from statistics and everything else that will go to the first part, go to the middle and get to the end. And they sometimes miss the message because we all know we have short attention spans. So would you please reiterate your website, your Facebook and anything else that we need to tell them at the very end? Awesome. I would do that. So my website is larkdeangalley.com and you can find resources there. You can find um, different information about my courses and helps things to, 
just help you parent better, help you overcome some, some struggles that you might have. There's some business courses on there because that's what I used to do before I started talking about suicide prevention. Also a link to get updates on my book that's coming out November 10th. And I, you know, I just break it down as like, let's be kinder to each other. Let's be better parents. Let's show more love and acceptance. Everybody's hurting, especially 2020. Like we're all on edge, right? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. (laughs) Like we're crazy. (laughs) And so we need to understand that the suicide statistics are going up and the isolation has been going up, which contributes to, to suicide and, and the mental wellness issues. And I just want to say there is there is hope and there are ways to get help and please don't give up on yourself and don't give up on those around you. Okay. Thank you very much once again for being a West Virginia Uncommonplace and everybody, like I said, once again, this is going to be the season three episode. That's a big deal. All right. Thank you.